Good morning. All right, welcome to Calvary Chapel. Great to be here with you guys, as always, just to gather, to worship the Lord, to enjoy sweet communion with Him. Well, this morning, uh, we are going to, going to be picking up where we left off last week in our study of the Gospel of Luke. And so if you have your Bibles with you this morning, go ahead and open up to Luke chapter 8. Okay, Luke chapter 8. This morning, we're also going to be taking some time towards the end of our service to participate in coming to the Lord's table through communion. Uh, for us as a church, we like to set aside the first Sunday of each month to remember and celebrate the victory that Jesus Christ obtained for us uh, through the cross. So Paul said that as often as we eat the bread and drink the cup, we proclaim the Lord's death till He comes. But he didn't say how often uh, we should do it, uh, just that it should be often or regular at least. And for us, we've decided that the first Sunday of the month is just as good as any other. Uh, really, we ought to remember His death and sacrifice for us each and every day, uh, knowing and understanding that without it, we would still be in bondage and hopelessly lost in our sin, you know, without any hope of forgiveness or a right standing with the Lord. So every day we should be mindful of His victory for us. So we've set aside just a few minutes at the close of our service this morning to uh, remember Jesus' broken body, His shed blood, and the victory He won for us uh, and so we'll be doing that this morning as well. Everyone there in Luke chapter 8? All right. Our text this morning is going to be a short one, okay? It should leave us plenty of time for communion afterwards. My wife even said, you know, it's okay if you end a little bit early. And I said, well, I don't want them to get used to that, you know? So uh, we'll see. We might. Uh, we did end a few minutes early for service, but again, no promises, all right? All right, we're going to be looking at verses 16 through 21 in a message that I've entitled, God's Word and Our Actions. Last week, if you were with us, you may recall that our message was God's Word and Our Hearts. This week, it is God's Word and Our Actions. Today's study really is a continuation of last week's study. It builds off of what we covered last week. And so we will do just a quick review to get our bearings set. But before we do that, let's go ahead and rise to our feet in honor of God and His Word. And then we'll read through this week's text. We'll ask God's continued blessings upon our time together. So Luke writes the following in chapter 8, verse 16. No one, when he has lit a lamp, covers it with a vessel or puts it under a bed, but sets it on, on a lampstand that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is secret that will not be revealed, nor anything hidden that will not be known and come to light. Therefore, take heed how you hear. For whoever has, to him more will be given, and whoever does not have, even what he seems to have, will be taken from him. Verse 19, then his mother and brothers came to him and could not approach him because of the crowd. And it was told him by some who said, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered and said to them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And this opportunity that we have to gather here this morning to uh, open up your word, uh, to open up our hearts, our ears, our mind to all that your spirit would desire to say to us. And Lord, I pray that each and every person here is ready uh, and expectant to receive from you this morning. Lord, we thank you that your word is living, that it's powerful. Lord, that you haven't abandoned us to try and figure you out by ourselves or to figure out this walk on our own. Lord, you've given us your word as a guide 
as a, a roadmap, uh, as a foundation, Lord. And so we thank you for it, and we ask for your Spirit's leading and guiding as we go through it. We give you our time this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. You may have a seat. Last week, when we began our study of Luke chapter 8, we took a look at Jesus' parable of the sower, or better yet, Jesus' parable of the soils, uh, as the emphasis is more upon the different uh, soils that the seed fell upon. Jesus was speaking to the multitudes that had gathered around him, and he addressed them through the use of parables, which was a, a, a slight adjustment to what he had been doing, visiting the local synagogues, reading from the scrolls. Now he's teaching out in the open outside, and he's using parables. You may recall how the word parable, it literally means to cast alongside. So Jesus takes an earthly story or an everyday situation, and he uses it to describe a spiritual truth. Okay, parables can actually uh, be described as an earthly story that conveys a heavenly or spiritual truth. Now, the understanding of the earthly story is, is plain to see for everyone, but only those who take the time to seek out the spiritual truth behind the story will ultimately benefit from the parable. After Jesus had told an earthly story about a sower sowing seed in his fields and how it landed on different types of soils and thus led to different kinds of results, the disciples came to Jesus and they asked him what that spiritual meaning of the parable was. And Jesus obliged their request and he explained the spiritual truth of the parable. The seed that was scattered was the word of God, while the soil represented different conditions of our hearts. Okay, Jesus basically described people that had hard hearts or shallow hearts or crowded hearts and fruitful hearts. And the obvious application for us was that we should all desire to have fruitful hearts, hearts that are able to take in the word of God and allow it to produce in us spiritual fruit. And the fruit of the spirit is love. And so the main application last week for us was to take the word of God into our hearts to receive God's word and allow it to, to produce the fruit of God's love in our lives. Well, today's text picks up with yet another parable. And as we go through our text, we're going to look to understand the earthly story as well as the heavenly truth that Jesus is trying to get across through the parable. And so as we go through the parable, I do believe that it is going to build off of some of the same principles that we looked at last week. And so the idea of hearing God's word and keeping God's word is going to continue. For those of you who like to take notes, perhaps outline our text, we're going to break up our text into two small sections, okay? Section one is going to be verses 16 through 18. It's going to deal with hearing God's word and sharing it. Section two will cover verses 19 through 21 and deal with hearing God's word and doing it, okay? So let's jump into our first section, taking a look at verses 16 and 17 again. It says, no one, when he has lit a lamp, covers it with a vessel or puts it under a bed, but sets it on a lampstand that those who enter may see the light for nothing is secret that will not be revealed, nor anything hidden that will not be known and come to light. This parable, it begins with a very simple twofold statement. No one, when he has lit a lamp, covers it with a vessel or puts it under a, be uh, under a bed. 
Doing so would defeat the purpose of lighting the lamp in the first place. A lamp is used to illuminate an area or thing. Its purpose is to shine and and give forth light. Hiding it would make absolutely no sense whatsoever. And so the statement continues. He says, but sets it on a lampstand that those who hear, or excuse me, those who enter may see the light. And so a lamp, as we understand, it's to be placed on a lampstand that it might uh, bright, bring excuse me, light to all who enter the room. A lamp is to be lifted up high so that it can penetrate the darkest corners and the areas within a room, bringing light to as much area as possible for those that enter. Then Jesus asserts that there is nothing secret that will not be revealed, nor anything hidden that will not be known and come to light. And so we see here the idea uh, being presented here is that when the light is lifted up, nothing will be hidden. Everything will be revealed, everything will be exposed to the light, and all will be made bare for all to see. And so we understand the earthly side of these statements. Light's meant to illuminate, to be put on a high, up on a lampstand so that it might shine forth and reveal everything that was hidden in the dark, okay? That nothing can remain in the dark when the light has shined upon it. It's a very simple statement, right? We all understand that idea. But what is the heavenly truth? What is the spiritual truth behind this parable that Jesus is sharing here? Well, in order to understand the spiritual truth behind this parable, we need to figure out what the lamp represents. Okay, now, unfortunately, okay, unlike last week's parable, Jesus doesn't take the time to break this one down for the disciples. And so we are left to try and figure it out ourselves. Now, there are a couple of possibilities here when it comes to the symbolic meaning of the lamp. And we'll look at it and consider a couple of them. To start off with, first of all, when I think of a lamp or I think of light, okay, I think of Jesus Christ, who said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. John chapter 8, verse 12. God did not bring His Son into this world so that He would be hidden, but so that He would be high and lifted up, so that His light would shine upon the darkness. In speaking about how the Father sent Him, Jesus declared, and this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light, does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. Jesus, of course, we know would be lifted up, not upon a lamp stand, but upon a wooden cross. And when Jesus was crucified, the wickedness of men's hearts was on full display. Their hearts were revealed. But the crucifixion also showed us the love of the Father. He revealed God's heart to us and His great love for us. For God demonstrated His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 tells us that. And so we see that the lamp, it, it could very well be referring to Jesus Christ Himself. How He is the light of the world. And how He will be lifted up and, and hearts will be revealed. There's another possibility of the identity of the lamp 
and that is that it refers to those who would follow Jesus and have the light of life, as Jesus referred to back in John chapter 8, verse 12. And, and, and that points to the disciples, and that actually points to you and, and to me as followers of Jesus Christ. This is what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 and six through 16, regarding those that followed him. He said this, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Jesus says, Let your light so shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And so the idea here would be that, that we are the lamp. God has given us light. He's given us the light in Jesus Christ. He's given us the truth about who Jesus is, and we are to shine forth that truth. Perhaps it could even be a combination of these two ideas. It could very well be that Jesus is the lamp, and we, are, as His followers, are the lamp stand. You see, a lampstand is likened to a, a candlestick or a, a candelabrum. He's something that holds a light, a, a, something that holds a candle, a, that is a, a light bearer. Okay? Perhaps the imagery is to picture how Jesus is placed in us and, and how we shine His light all around to the world. Still yet another possibility is that the lamp speaks in general about the spiritual truths being explained in the parables. That it represents truth, not just any truth, but the truth that comes from the Word of God. And just like the lamp that needs to be lifted up and put on display, so too the Word of God, the truth, is meant to be shared and proclaimed to all. It is meant to expose and reveal things that are secret, things that are hidden. The psalmist writes in Psalm 119, verse 105, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Interesting thing is, even in this interpretation, it seems to come right back to Jesus. For Jesus is the word become flesh, according to John chapter 1, verse 14. And Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life according to John 14, 6. And so either way you look at it, it always comes back to Jesus and the responsibility that we have to share the truth regarding Him with those around us, which is what the next verse is talking about. Let's take a look at verse 18. Jesus continuing to speak, He says, Therefore take heed how you hear. For whoever has, to him more will be given, and whoever does not have, even what he seems to have, will be taken from him. Verse 18 speaks about the application of the spiritual truth Jesus is sharing in the parable of the lamp. Jesus says to take heed how you hear. The words take heed, they actually carry the sense of, of watching out carefully for something, okay, to uh, beware of something, to pay close attention to something. And the something here pertains to how we hear. Interestingly enough, in Mark's parallel account, Jesus is recording as saying, take heed what you hear. In Mark chapter 4, verse 24, we need to watch out. We need to be careful to pay attention to not only what we hear, 
but how we hear it. What do we allow our ears to take in? Okay. What are you listening to on a regular basis? Okay. Paul writes in Philippians, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things, he says. Is what we're listening to and taking in on a regular basis, are they things that are true? Are they things that are noble and just and pure? Are they things that are lovely and of good report? Are they virtuous? Are they things that are praiseworthy? Or are we allowing ourselves to take in just a bunch of garbage? We need to be careful about what We allow our ears to hear what we take in on a regular basis. But not only that we need to be careful about not just what we hear, okay, but how we hear. How do we receive things? Are we listening intently, okay, with a desire to learn, a desire to understand, and a desire to apply those things that we take into our lives? Or do we simply come and allow spiritual truths to fall upon deaf and disinterested ears? Ears that would rather be listening to something or to someone else. We need to be careful. We need to watch out and pay close attention to what and how we hear. Jesus says, for whoever has to him more will be given. And whoever does not have even what he seems to have or your translation may read what he thinks he has, will be taken from him. Jesus gives us a warning here because it's not just about hearing. It's about putting into action as well. We are supposed to do something with that which we've heard. We are to share it. Just like the light that is shared for all to see, we too are to share that which we have heard. We have the wonderful gospel message of Jesus Christ. We have the good news for lost souls, and we need to share it with the world around us. Jesus says those that are faithful to take heed of how they hear will be those who have, and he says that those who have will be given more. You see, when we are faithful to come and receive truth from Jesus and then go out and disseminate that truth to the world around us, Jesus will continue to reveal more and more truth to you, okay? He will see you as a funnel, as a dispenser of His truth, and He will continue to give you more. However, if we come week after week and take in and take in the word without ever sharing it with others, that which you think you have will be taken away from you. You see, there needs to be a proper balance of taking in and distributing out. You know, you know what happens when, when all you do is take in, okay? Week after week after week without ever sharing. Can't you just take in? You're just consuming, consuming, consuming. You get spiritually bloated. You get spiritually unhealthy. You get stuffed. You get stuffed with the Word, and then all of a sudden, you know what happens? Your appetite for the Word begins to wane. 
You ever eaten so much some, uh, of something where you're just kind of like, oh man, I can't, I don't even want to think about eating another bite of this stuff, right? It's like, I, I don't want to have this again for a really long time, right? That is what will happen. You no longer hunger for the Word like you once did. You don't take time to get into the Word anymore. You don't have time for devotions, for ministry, for sharing your faith. You find it more and more difficult to take in because you're just stuffed to the gills, okay? And there isn't any outlet. And sooner or later, even that which you thought you had, the spiritual truth you thought you had, begins to be lost. And your walk with the Lord is hindered, and your walk becomes unhealthy. It becomes out of balance. We need to heed Jesus' warning here and make sure that we are careful about what we hear and how we hear it. That we are faithful to take in the word, the truth of the gospel, with an open heart, with an excitement to hear from him and an enthusiasm to share his word and his truth with the world around us. Well, let's take a look at our second major section. I said there'd be two today. Okay, we looked at hearing God's word and the need to share it. Next, we're going to look at hearing God's word and the need to do it. Read verses 19 through 21 with me. It says, Then his mother and brothers came to him and could not approach him because of the crowd. And it was told him by some who said, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered and said to them, My mother and my brothers are these who hear the word of God. Excuse me. Hear the word of God and do it. Remember that Jesus is addressing a large multitude of people at this time. Thousands of people are flocking to him in order to hear him teach, to be healed by him, or at least to be part of something miraculous. And here we read that Jesus' mother, and we know that to be Mary, she comes along with uh, Jesus' brothers. They've come out to the crowd and they are wanting to see Jesus. Now we aren't told specifically what they want. Matthew's parallel account simply states that they wanted to speak to him. But I do wonder if that is all that they wanted. For we read in Mark's gospel of how his family had come to him earlier when the multitudes had once again gathered around Jesus. Mark tells us that one of the times that the multitudes came together around Jesus, that Jesus and his disciples were so busy ministering to the needs of the people that they didn't even have time to eat bread, and that his own people, his own family, okay, when they heard about this, they went out to the multitude wanting to lay hold of him and to remove him from the crowd because they believed that he'd gone crazy, that he was out of his mind, according to Mark chapter 3, verse 21. It could be that his family once again has come out to to uh, order in order to lay hold of him and remove him from the crowd because they thought he'd lost his mind. We know that his brothers didn't believe in him as the Messiah. John's gospel tells us so in John chapter 7, verse 5. And so his brothers, uh, these would be half-brothers, same mom, Mary, okay, different dad. Um, Joseph is the father of uh, his brothers, right? God is the father. Uh, and so these are half-brothers. If you've been led to believe that Mary didn't have any more children, or that's not true. Okay, she had other kids afterwards. Joseph and them had, yeah, simple, right? Okay. Um, they did not believe, okay? And while Mary knew that her son was a special gift from the Lord, perhaps the brothers came to her and convinced her that she needed to do something about the situation, that things were getting out of hand. Look what Jesus is doing. He's crazy. He's lost it. Mom, you got to go do something, okay? 
Again, we can't say with certainty why they came or what they wanted. All we know for certain is that because of the multitude, they could not even get close to Jesus. And so they started calling for him. And the multitudes uh, spread word to Jesus that his mother and brothers were outside wanting to see him. And I, I, I find his response interesting. This is when Jesus responded in a very peculiar way. He said, my mother and my brothers are these who hear the word of God and do it. This was not, please let me let you understand, okay? This was not a slight against his mom or his brothers in regards to trying to demean them or say something mean about them, okay? He's simply trying to, to make a point here. The multitude thought of Jesus' family being limited to his blood relatives. But Jesus was wanting to make a point here about a far greater truth regarding the extent of his family. You see, being a part of Jesus' family isn't about a physical birth. It is about a spiritual birth. In John chapter 3, we read of Jesus speaking to a man named Nicodemus, a Pharisee that realized the truth about Jesus, how he had to be from God. And he came out to Jesus under the cover of night, to talk to him because he was a Pharisee. He didn't, presumably didn't want to be seen in the daytime talking with Jesus. And so he comes to him under the cover of night. This is Nick at night, I like to say. And this is what Nicodemus and him were talking about. Jesus told Nicodemus in chapter 3, verse 5, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. You see, the spiritual truth, the spiritual birth, excuse me, Jesus spoke about is how we enter into the kingdom of God, but not only that, it is how we enter into the family of God. Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 declares, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. And so Jesus was wanting to let those around Him know that His family it was not limited to just His blood relatives, but it was all who hear the Word of God and do it. We need to be doers of God's word and not just hearers. The parable of the soils teaches us we need to keep God's word in our heart. The parable of the lamb teaches us we need to share God's word with those around us. And here Jesus teaches us we need to be doers of God's word as well, not just hearers only. Hearing God's word alone is not enough. Hey, I love seeing your beautiful faces here on, on Sunday morning. I love that you guys come and, and you're here to hear the word. But listen, hearing is not enough. Coming to church and listening to a sermon week after week is not enough. We need to take God's word and apply it to our lives and put it into practice. Knowledge is not enough. Okay, you can know a whole lot about God and you can know a whole lot about God's word and still be missing the mark. The religious leaders of Jesus' day had all sorts of knowledge, but they were not part of the family of God. Listen, following isn't enough either. The crowds, they followed Jesus while it suited them and benefited them. As long as following led to good things, it didn't interfere with their schedule, it was good to go. 
But as soon as things got hard, or as soon as they stopped getting what they wanted out of it, they stopped following. People do that with the Lord still today. They follow Jesus while it suits them, while it is convenient, while they're getting something out of it. But there's no surrender to Jesus. There's no obedience to His Word. We need to not only hear the Word, okay, and know the Word, and follow the Word that become, became flesh, Jesus Christ, but in addition, we must be completely yielded to His Word. We must be obedient to put His Word into action, to do His Word, and not just hear it. Well, I don't know if the people in the crowds understood exactly what Jesus was saying, but I do think that his words rang true in someone's ears that day that ended up making a lasting impact, and I believe that it was one of Jesus' brothers. And let me explain why I believe that. For we know that Jesus' half-brother would eventually turn from his unbelief He would become a great leader within the first century church. And it was his half-brother James that wrote the following in his own epistle. This is what James, who was there, presumably there, and heard Jesus say that my mother and my brothers are those who hear my word and do it. This is what James had to say in his epistle. He says, therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls He says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. It sounds like James, Jesus' brother that was part of the group that came out to speak to him, eventually got it. He understood what Jesus was saying when he said, my mother and my brothers are these who hear the word of God and do it. According to James, if we are only hearers of God's word and not doers of God's word, all we are doing is deceiving ourselves. Okay, we are making ourselves feel good okay, about, our, about coming to church or about listening to a Bible study, all the while not being obedient to what God's Word actually says. If we don't ever allow God's Word to penetrate our hearts and actually change our lives, it's pointless. All we're doing is deceiving ourselves. If we come into the church week after week and we look into God's word and we see what it says about us and our condition and then we leave this place without ever letting it change us, we are like that man that looks in the mirror, sees himself, and then as soon as he walks away from the mirror, he forgets what he looks like. Don't let this be a description of who you are. May we be those who come and not only hear the word of God, but actually put it into practice. May we be hearers and doers of the word. Amen? Amen.